Hello and welcome to the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. This podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. This is episode 93. 93. So we are counting up to 100 or down to 100, on the countdown to 100, but we are so excited to reach our 100th anniversary episode milestone and celebrate with you. And today I was so nervous all day about interviewing today's guest and thank you to Paul Chatlin from plant-based support groups was on episode 79 of the podcast. You want to go back and listen to his story about how he reversed his heart disease with a plant-based diet. That's a great story as well. And he helped link me with Dr. Joel Kahn, a friend of a lovely friend of his and someone who I have followed and been inspired by on my own journey for many, many years. So I was super excited to have him on the show. Joel Khan is a, Dr. Khan is a cardiologist. He has been since 1983. He is a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University. And he is an author of books such as The Plant-Based Solution, Young at Heart by Design, The No BS Diet, Vegan Sex, Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses, and your whole heart solution. He has a podcast. He has he has two restaurants, um, Green Space Cafe, and he also has the Khan Center for Cardiac Longevity. You can check out all of this on his website, drjoelkhan.com, and it's well worth a look. There's articles there and all kinds of information and resources, and he also does long-distance consults for those who may want his support in dealing with their own heart issues and cardiovascular disease. So without further ado, I was, as I said, I was very excited and please follow Dr. Khan on all of his social media, Dr. J. Dr. Jay Khan on Twitter is his favourite place, YouTube, he's on everywhere that you would like to He loves talking about this topic. He's very, very, very passionate, which you will hear in this episode because he can, you know, he's just so well-researched and has been practicing for such a long time. So he is such a wealth of information. And, And I love that every single time a doctor comes on this show, it's different. You would think that we couldn't, we'd be saying the same thing over and over and over again, but it's, we're not, it's all new things. It's some of it I never heard of. So I was very excited to hear him talking about seafood and TMAO, which I'll leave him to talk to you about fish, specifically meat allergies, vegan sex, all those types of things. It's a really great. I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope that you do too. And if you have any comments or questions, please comment in the show notes or on the link that you're, you found, you used to find the article. So Facebook or whatever. If you haven't followed my Facebook page, it's Corinne Nidja and Corinne Nidja on Instagram, Twitter, and all those places. And also I have the plant-based and thriving Facebook group that you're welcome to join and just hear a bit more from me in that group than you do 
anywhere else. Otherwise, thanks for listening and I will see you all next week. Now, I'm, I think I'm fade, fading out doing the little bit at the end. So thank you all for listening in advance and thank you so much, Joel Kahn, Dr. Kahn, for coming on the show. See you all next week. Bye. Well, hello and welcome to the show, Dr. Khan. Happy, happy wishes to Down Under. You bet. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to have you and and talk to you because you've your work is we've done so much in this area of plant based nutrition and health. And your books, The Plant-Based Solution, Young at Heart by Design, The No BS Diet, all those books are helping so many people to transition or just make the switch to this way of eating for their health and their longevity. And yeah, I'm just so, I feel so honored to have you on the show. Well, man, that's a good way to start learning here in the old US of A, so uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. So I just wanted to kind of start at the start. But, focusing on when you started to learn about the benefits of a plant-based diet. I know you've been a cardiologist since 1983, which is a long time, but back then I don't imagine a plant-based way of life was something that many people spoke of or knew about. And I want all your listeners to got a hanky because they're going to have dramatic tears in their eyes from my personal story. But it is really very simple, and it was really more coincidence than either agony or design. But the bottom line was I grew up in a home in suburban Detroit, Michigan, where we honored certain dietary laws in the Jewish tradition called keeping kosher, didn't eat cheeseburgers, didn't eat pork. And when I went up to university at age 18 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, University of Michigan, I looked in the cafeteria literally day one. And I said, I guess I'm eating at the salad bar. This was a very emotional moment. No, I'm, I'm making fun of it. It was just a practical step. Um, Ann Arbor was a very vegetarian, vegan-friendly town, even though we didn't call it uh, vegan at the time. And uh, I never went back, actually. Uh, I was with a girlfriend. Let me think of my girlfriend's name. Oh, she's been my wife now for 38 years. I do remember her. Uh, my my girlfriend, Karen, felt better in that first week and I think was clearly lactose intolerant, but we just called it her mother's cooking up to that point. Um, and the whole thing worked. And that's not a very, you know, uh, uh, motivational story. It was just a story of survival. Uh, a few years later, somebody handed me, and I swear I don't know, it was random, uh, a book called A Diet for New America by John Robbins, a book that influenced many people because it's one of the first, maybe Rachel Carson Silent Spring in 1962 that made the case for the environment. But John Robbins' book, now of John Robbins and Ocean Robbins, laid out what was known medically, what was known environmentally, what was known from an ethical animal rights perspective. All that was brand new to me. I can actually remember reading that book and like, oh my God, wow, wow, bing bong, ding dong. I mean, it was like lights going off. Because I've been eating actually probably a decade now, plant-based, starting to raise kids largely plant-based. I didn't uh, force them to go down this path, but they have chosen to afterwards, uh, and now they're old kids. Um, and then I got into cardiology training where I did, as one would suspect, learn very little, but I was reading the literature. I was more interested than the average bear 
about nutrition just because of this background. I also was training in part just a coincidence in Dallas, Texas, where a Nobel Prize in medicine was soon awarded for cholesterol research. And, you know, cholesterol has to bring up the discussion of diet, even back in the 1980s. So I was all primed the last piece. And one more time, take out your handkerchief, you're going to cry. But I went to my mailbox in uh, 1990, three weeks after starting my first job. I mean, I was a plant-based human now for more than a decade, but I was a very, very well-trained, aggressive um, cardiologist taught to put in stents and balloons and such. Um, and in my mailbox was a medical journal. And in the medical journal was a certain Dr. Dean Ornish and other doctors reporting that you could actually reverse established heart blockage, something I had now spent more than a, a decade training to become a master of heart blockage domination with balloon stents, bypass. But then he did it with food, meditation, exercise, and social support. And I remember reading that, and I know maybe I was way more receptive than the average cardiologist, July 21, 1990, but it really did change my career. And uh, I started teaching. I mean, it's almost 30 years now. Literally every patient I've seen, I've asked either to buy a book. Back then, it was really only Dr. Ornish's book. Then it became The China Study. Then it became the movie Forks Over Knives and Dr. Esselstyn's book. And Dr. Bernard started putting out books. So I'm as old as dirt in this movement. Um, but I've certainly helped a lot of people. My, I actually own a little trademark prevent, not stent. But I also believe, because there's a lot of people that do need bypass and stents or have already had them, it should be, you know, prevent after stent. Uh, if you've had such a dramatic heart procedure like our President Bill Clinton and many others, uh, you better get your act together like I did way back in 1977. Whether, you know, and in this case, you better do it on purpose where I did it initially by accident. But it turns out when you look over, and I've become sort of, a, I've always been gravitated in medicine a little bit to the history of medicine. I mean, how did we get to the place that we do believe that whole food, plant-based diets uh, can prevent and reverse some chronic diseases? I'm a bit of a scientist, and more of a historian on the topic. I'm giving a talk in New York City in a few days on that. And I like to go back right to the beginning and say, you know, how did we learn this stuff? And there's been just some pioneers in the field that have uh, been brighter than me. I mean, to actually ask the question, can I help my patients? And we're talking about even way back in the 1940s, can I help my patients with transitioning their diet to uh, low oil, whole food, plant-based, which is usually what it is when you're trying to treat disease, not necessarily for every human on the planet. And um, it's remarkable how consistent the data is over all this time, uh, yet we have all these arguments and wars and foods. And if anybody follows me on Twitter, which is usually very entertaining, or a YouTube channel, you know, I'm pretty much a warrior out there for honesty and uh, true messaging, but it, it can be very ugly also. It can be so ugly. Actually, I, my husband saw you on the Joe Rogan episode. Right, right. That was not ugly because I didn't want to be ugly because the viewership is so large. Joe Rogan experience, if anybody wants to go back, it's three hours and 47 minute discussion on food and uh, does saturated fat matter uh, and does eating meat benefit or harm the human body? 
And I knew the readership, you know, which was the show is sponsored by meat companies. So I wasn't going to do well to be that ugly vegan that uh, alienates the readership. So I tried to be reasonable and I think I was reasonable. I could have been more aggressive, but I didn't want to be because uh, I just would have confirmed all those biases. I think that's a word. So we had a conversation and I wasn't going for the juggler. If I was going for the juggler, I could have been a little more aggressive like I am in some settings. But uh, it's still a very interesting, long YouTube or podcast, uh, very often the number one podcast that's uh, out each week. So there's a lot to be listened to. I actually haven't listened to that episode, I must confess, but my Ranjit told me, he told me it was four hours long. And I thought he was exaggerating, but you th three hours and 47 minutes. No, no, no. He, he told you the truth. It was four hours long. I, and we didn't get up. We didn't move. Um, I could have gone longer. It would have been fine. I had more to say, but uh, I tell you, we got off on a tangent. There remains an interesting tangent. Um, you know, if you listed all the biochemical reasons that eating meat regularly may be bad for you, let alone there's something called epidemiology. You know, uh, we took 100,000 people. We analyzed their diet back in 1980. We followed them for 25 years to see who died, who got heart disease, who got stroke. Generally, studies like that will suggest increased meat consumption, increased red meat consumption are associated with cancer and heart disease. Yeah, eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains are associated with protection from heart disease. There actually was such a study out this week in terms of colorectal cancer that confirmed, you know, so many other studies. Um, if you go way back, but if you actually talk with the biochemistry, uh, there's saturated fat in meat. There's no fiber in meat. There's a chemical called 5-NU-GC that may fire up inflammation. Uh, there's a chemical called L-carnitine. You go through the whole list. Anyways, there is a chemical we can produce in our bodies most of your listeners will never have heard of called TMAO. And it turns out TMAO is like there's two gifts to us uh, kind of warriors of plant-based science. I'll tell you them both right now. One is this body of science in the last 10 years that we have in our blood a chemical we never used to know about and we never used to measure. And that chemical is these four letters, TMAO. And how is it formed in the blood? Because you can now measure it in the blood. In my clinic, I routinely draw TMAO levels, although most doctors don't, but I just got in this bandwagon early. And um, it, it turns out that if you uh, look at the way it develops, uh, it comes from eating red meat, which is rich in carnitine and amino acid. It comes from eating um, egg yolk, which is rich in choline, um, and maybe if you take certain vitamins and then you get the stuff in your blood. So if you had to say, did we, you know, did we need more ammunition? Because if you have a high level of TMAO in your blood, you may actually, um, have more chance of clogging your arteries, developing kidney problems, some really pretty serious issues. Uh, that's one. And the other one, this ammunition that comes from the science world is there's a serious condition now called a meat allergy that is growing in frequency in the United States. I can't speak to it in Australia, but it turns out we have a tick that uh, will bite a human after going through a cycle, maybe in some mice and other animals like deer. It's not the same tick that might cause Lyme disease. It's called the Lone Star Tick. But it turns out if you get bit by this tick, you have a very high chance of developing an allergy to meat, to red meat. 
and an allergy to the point of actually um, getting what we call anaphylaxis, you know, needing to inject yourself with an EpiPen full of adrenaline, kind of like you're, you know, got a nut allergy and you accidentally ate nuts. Um, this is all new in Virginia, a state in the United States, in Tennessee, Ohio. There's some estimates up to 25% of people have been bit and have this uh, antibody. Not all of them are reacting that strongly, but they can react. And it's absolutely a new you know, thing on the horizon that uh, the public needs to be aware of um, and emergency room doctors need to be aware of. And also slightly, you know, makes the case for plant-based diets from even another path we never knew existed. So I just wanted to throw that in. I, I was going to go down a pathway and talk about fish, but I'm, I'm going to give that up. You have to listen to the whole Joe Rogan thing if you want to hear my shtick on fish. I do want to hear that because my, my mom is like, she said, always says the last thing she has to give up is fish. Okay, so this is the shtick on fish. Um, Theoretically, you know, people have eaten fish for you know, centuries and millennia is the word I was looking for. And of course, if you live in a coastal town, uh, Sardinia, a little island in Italy, has a zone that's a blue zone. And yeah, it's Sardinia. They have sardines and they're going to go eat, uh, you know, food available. I'm not at all critical of that. But if we're designing our perfect diet, is fish a healthy food in 2019 or not? Very complex question. Because, you know, all the same things as red meat, it does have saturated fat, it doesn't have fiber, um, it uh, can carry, and this is the big downside, it can carry pollutants. 2019 is not, you know, 1900 when we had other problems, but we didn't have companies like Monsanto and Dow Chemical and others, uh, 3M making all kinds of terrible toxins, at least in the United States, and I'm not Debbie Downer neurotic, but these are seriously terrible toxins. So it turns out that fish will accumulate. They are called bioaccumulators. I mean, they are basically the sponge of the world that funny names and scary names, DDT, PCBs, mercury will accumulate in the fat of fish. And salmon particularly is a very fatty fish that people love so much in the United States. They will accumulate in the fat of fish more than they'll accumulate in other animals. They also like to accumulate, sadly, in the fat of the human body. So uh, some of the highest levels, particularly now these farmed fish, uh, farmed salmon, uh, really, really concentrates and has very high levels. And these things are affecting our health. There's no doubt they're affecting our endocrine system, our fertility, our sperm counts. Um, maybe actually contributing to some extent to obesity. So that's one issue with fish. In my medical clinic, I have a very advanced cardiology clinic, I just get a blood sample of mercury, lead, and arsenic routinely. And every patient I see, it's just random. I don't know what they ate the last three, four days, although I do take a detailed dietary history. Some are plant-based patients, some are others, even vending machine, you know, fast food patients, whatever they choose at that time, then I educate them. And the number of people that have high levels of mercury, particularly if they're eating a lot of tuna, tuna sushi, uh, because big fish really accumulate mercury more than little fish like perch. That's one issue. That's, and that's a serious issue. So in, in 2019, is fish a good choice? So uh, if you want to resolve it to some degree, I always like to point out amazing scientists and Dr. Walter Longo from the University of 
Southern California, PhD, Italian born, very, very interesting book in January 2018 called The Longevity Diet, probably the premier nutrition longevity scientist in the world, says eat 18 to 19 whole food plant-based meals a week and have two pieces of fish a week. Now, he's not talking about ethics. He's not talking about the environment. He's not talking about Dr. Esselstyn type patient and reversing very bad plaque. He's not talking about Paul Chatlin, who you know. He's just talking about a general plan for optimal health. Uh, one can question that, but two pieces of fish a week is also not fish every day and exposure to those levels of toxins. I personally have not had fish in 40 years and I don't recommend it to my patients, but of all the animal products they can eat, it's still probably the best choice, particularly if they stay away from these big mercury-laden fish. Last two, three seconds on fish. A few, a few fish, a few fish actually make TMAO in their own body, and you eat that fish. They tend to be very, very deep water fish, um, and the reason is it somehow helps them actually navigate that high pressure deep water. So your blood level can go up dramatically after eating certain fish. It's actually a minority of fish, but it has given the meat community the platform to say that fish have TMAO preformed. Fish are healthy, according to many studies. Therefore, this whole TMAO, anti-meat, anti-egg argument is nonsense. Let's go back and gorge on meat and eggs. And, you know, it's pretty ugly out there, and they're looking for every argument they can come up with. It turns out that the researchers, uh, many of them are at the famous Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, point out that it's actually only a few fish, and it isn't actually resolved that eating fish is as healthy as the public thinks. It is also, again, relative to what else you're going to eat. Um, and uh, that there are actually a few animal studies suggesting you might actually promote hardening the artery when you eat fish, which is certainly not what the public thinks, but it is what some animal studies suggest. So uh, your mom and her fish, if uh, the choice was bacon and eggs, if the choice was a cheeseburger, fries, and malt, I'd say, you know what, get yourself a beautiful salad and a piece of salmon grilled or, or steamed or boiled, and you're better. I don't know you're optimal, you're better. People have to eat, and we can't scare the heck out of them completely. So, uh, But if mom wants to try some organic tempeh or uh, tofu stir-fry, there are probably better choices than fish. And certainly don't eat fish every day. Don't eat fish if you're pregnant. You know, uh, In Michigan, where I live, we have this terrible uh, warning in 2019 this summer that many lakes in Michigan were not supposed to eat fish out of that we used to. And we're called the Great Lakes State. We have lakes everywhere in Michigan, a little like Minnesota. But uh, we have this new chemical, PFOS, PFOS. And it's coming from industry. It's coming from 3M. It's coming from Scotchgard. It's in the water. Children are seeing foam and they're playing with it like it's uh, a toy. And it actually has tremendously adverse chemical effects. So, you know, our world has to dictate at the present time, this is really a sad comment, uh, partly our food choices, and not even plants are perfectly safe. I mean, they still are in the ground and they're, you know, being watered, but they don't have this bioaccumulation aspect like fish do. It's, it's truly amazing how it's become easier to argue a whole food plant-based diet is the optimal diet. I was thinking when you were talking that I, like Sardinia, back when 
those places were really, really like when fish eating communities on the coastal communities were really, really healthy. I'm guessing that they were eating lots and lots of because it's warmer climates, lots more whole fresh fruit and vegetables anyway. So it's hard to know which is the thing that's keeping them healthy, but it's likely that it's the whole fruit and vegetables. Yes, right. And there actually has been such a study that is only worth commenting because it is the study very often that Dr. Um, Esselstyn will point to, many of your listeners know Dr. Esselstyn, the Cleveland Clinic, and his book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, a book that almost all my patients do read uh, and uh, need to study like a Bible if they have serious heart disease. But at any rate, um, <clears throat> Dr. Robert Vogel, a cardiologist that actually was one of my professors in Ann Arbor, Michigan, then moved on to Maryland uh, and subsequently moved on elsewhere did a study on the Mediterranean diet, another one of those, like fish. You know, you almost expect to hear angels sing when you say Mediterranean diet. Um, and, you know, for good reason. It's, again, compared to a fast food diet, uh, generally a plate of whole grains, fruits, vegetables, take out the red meat, put in a piece of fish, put olive oil on it, have a glass of wine, and dance, you know, to some Italian music by Andrea Bocelli. It sounds good, and it's probably a a better choice than a lot. But he dissected that and looked at the way our healthy arteries react. If you feed a, a volunteer fruit, healthy arteries are documented. Feed a volunteer vegetables, healthy arteries. Feed a volunteer fish, it was actually neutral. This is a study back in the late 1980s when fish was a little healthier, was neutral. But you feed a fish olive oil, excuse me, feed a volunteer olive oil, and actually, there is for a number of hours some impact negatively on the health of their arteries, which is one of the reasons that you'll see uh, Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Furman and others, including in my own clinic, when I have to talk to a heart patient that has serious disease. So that is possible to dissect the components. It always goes back to whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and legumes. They are really the thing driving our healthy, art our healthy arteries and our healthy life. And the other things just go along for the ride. You know, maybe the olive oil, maybe it's a piece of fish that's on the same plate in the Mediterranean scheme. But I choose again to uh, stick to 100% plants. And 42 years later, I'm very happy that kind of uh, serendipity has worked out so well in the medical literature and many other ways. I was going to ask you, with your patients, when you're meeting someone who has cardiovascular disease or is very unwell um, in your clinic and you bring up the, the idea of maybe adopting or introducing a whole food plant-based diet, are you? what is the mixture of responses you get from your patients? You know, when I'm approaching a patient in the clinic, it will depend in part the way I talk to them about why they're there. If they're there just for a healthy checkup kind of patient, which I do see a lot of, uh, I'd be very happy if they add an apple a day. I'd be very happy if they find alternatives to dairy. And I will ask them to watch forks over their knives and we'll go from there. I might talk about maybe changing bacon and eggs to a big giant green smoothie full of flax and such. Uh, and if they're a serious heart patient, they're going to get the full approach and it's going to be, you know, really quick and immediate immersion into this whole field. I'm going to have them watch Forks Over Knives, read a book by Dr. Esselstyn, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. I want them to understand right away the impact of their dietary choices on their heart health specifically. 
Um, again, in, uh, in a gentler phase, I might recommend my own book, The Plant-Based Solution, which prevent, prevents uh, heart disease, cancer, and such, but kind of presents it in a little more gentler approach, which, again, people push back. So I still think our best tool is actually that uh, DVD or Netflix, uh, which is Forks Over Knives. It just seems to resonate with people. It's such a good, it's my favorite of the plant-based documentaries. I really, really love it. It's just so, I think it's relatable to many, many people. Right. It's really down to earth. So I was going to ask you also just to talk a little bit about patients' response, like how quickly they respond when they do make the switch to a plant-based diet, those patients that do. Right. And so you can go on science and you can go on just observation. One of the most fascinating, you know, these are, these are the things we need to not fight with, but support our movement with, uh, was the science done back in 1979 by a very, very young Dr. Dean Ornish, who actually took a group of sick patients with heart disease, having a lot of what we call like chest pain symptoms and just in a hotel for three to four weeks to feed them perfect food. There was a control group that simply just stayed doing what they normally do and was able to show within three weeks of changing diet, their chest pain, their angina dropped 90%. Their need to put that little pill called a nitro pill under the tongue dropped 90% uh, and actually did stress tests on them, a standard cardiology test also showed that they can improve within just three to four weeks of diet changes. That was later you know, shown again in even more elegant studies, what are called like randomized studies. Um, there has been, just to give you the idea of how quickly the human body can change, it's not exactly a purely vegan platform, but there's a scientist at University of Pittsburgh who took um, 20 people living in Pittsburgh eating in sort of an urban fast food diet did every measurement you can make in their blood and their stool to characterize the health of their body. These were healthy volunteers. And they took the same number of people in South Africa eating a very urban, excuse me, a very rural, a very bush-like, uh, mainly fiber-rich, tuber root, kind of simple, poor food uh, diet, did the same. Then they switched them. So for two weeks, People in Pittsburgh ate like they were eating in rural South Africa, and people in rural South Africa were given junk food. And within two weeks, the changes in the body, the changes in the microbiome, the gut, the changes in what's going on in your blood were profound. And of course, I want to stress the health ones when you go from a junk food diet to a diet that's almost completely full of fiber and minerals and such, uh, it can turn your body around, you know, really in a week, in two, in three, um, if you do it dramatically and quick enough. So, because often people in this world that we live in, you know, who argue about paleo and keto versus veganism, you know, they'll say, you know, they lost all this weight, they feel so much better, they healed their type 2 diabetes. And they're eating bacon and halloumi for breakfast and no fiber whatsoever, or, or very li little compared to a whole food plant-based diet. What would you say about that? So there's a lot of um, argument and uh, ill will going on, mainly in social media, sometimes at conferences. And, you know, I just mentioned in the past few minutes 
research by Dr. Dean Ornish, research by this Dr. Stephen O'Keefe in Pittsburgh and others, about TMAO, about meat allergies. All of these are serious science studies, sometimes large, sometimes small. Uh, Often they're randomized, there's a control group, and they end up being published in serious medical journals after they've been discussed at serious medical meetings. And slowly they can make the case that this is a new paradigm, this is a new approach. Um, None of what's going on right now in the most bizarre sector called the carnivore movement can match that. And I challenge people that all the time. I got into it yesterday on Twitter with a a quite famous woman, Michaela Peterson, a young woman who had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and adopted a 100% meat diet and claims she's better. Her father, Jordan Peterson, is a very famous professor in Canada and wrote a very famous book on the New York Times bestseller list. And I said, you know, this is fine, but this isn't science. Science would require you to get a series of 10 people with lab work, with before and after comparisons that a person could actually analyze. I mean, I understand you feel better, and that needs to be honored and um, congratulated. Uh, and that's always the you know, ultimate goal of a physician is to heal. But you're not going to convince anybody uh, with an interview on Joe Rogan. I mean, not going to convince the scientific world. Um, and that, you know, that's one level. Uh, the second is it takes 10 plus years to develop cancer. It takes 10 plus years to develop clogged arteries to the point of a serious risk of stroke and heart attack. There are a few people out there who have eaten these extreme diets, and I don't call the plant-based diet extreme. I mean, it was described in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's kind of one of our roots, but um, these extreme other diets, you know, for a year or two or three, there's exceptions of some people doing it longer. None of them have done it long enough to declare that the long-term outcome is going to be an advantage, unless you have the viewpoint. If it makes me thin and I die earlier, I don't care. Or if it makes me thin and I feel better, I don't care. Um, Of course, if you're sick, that might be a decision you make. There is serious concern that the low-carb movement has some published science that says it may shorten your lifespan. But, you know, you don't hear that talked about on the Rachel Ray show or, uh, you know, many of these other talk shows where people are getting these ideas. Um, so uh, the science is extremely weak. Yes. And I, from everything that, you know, yourself and the other, you know, Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Ornish, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, all your research that I, you know, I have looked at and listened to and and read, you know, the f- living without fiber just seems so counterintuitive to optimal health and longevity for any for any human yeah i don't know you know again this is where science needs to come in if you're eating 99 percent of your diet from meat or even 100 percent, i mean fiber will be absent to generally all extent vitamin c uh, generally meat is considered to have no vitamin c and uh how are these people surviving uh, are they telling the truth i think so but how are they surviving? And we'll learn some new things about the human physiology if we ever studied this. Um, but, you know, just in the last four to six weeks, major, major studies from all over the world, not at all aligned, have come up with the same conclusion. A low intake of whole grains, 100% whole grains. I mean, they can be gluten-free if you need to for celiac disease like quinoa. They can be 100% whole wheat and barley and brown rice and such. 
the deficiency of whole grains is the single biggest nutrient deficiency that leads to early death, early cancer and such. Uh, the cancer study came out this week. The overall death rate came out about six weeks ago called Global Burden of Disease. And some of these studies are massive. I mean, there are millions and millions of observations. So it isn't like the database for eating fiber uh, rich foods, which are plant foods, has diminished. It's gotten stronger. Uh, so it leaves you wondering um, you know, about these people's long-term health. And I hope that there isn't a spike in their atherosclerotic disease. And But if you're not tracking it, you're not going to talk about it. You know, we won't know for decades. Uh, it's just very concerning. I wanted to just touch on what you ju- when you just mentioned about the grain deficiency, um, the book Grain Brain, because I know lots of people who read that and were saying, oh, you know, well, I don't want to eat grains anymore because they're not natural for us. What do you say about that? Yeah, the author of Grain Brain, David Perlmutter, MD, is a friend and the author of Wheat Belly, which was the cardiology argument by Dr. William Davis, MD, a cardiologist, is an acquaintance. Uh, you know, these people sold millions of copies. They personally made millions and millions of dollars. Retired. They don't have to work anymore. I mean, it's a it's an absolutely magical formula. You know, I made a unique observation. I saw A, B, and C, and the secret I found was, you know, and just insert the blank. The other master of that is Dr. Stephen Gundry in the book two years ago called The Plant Paradox. Um, you know, all of those books have been judged. Uh, I will point out for your listeners, there's a new site on the web called Red Pen Reviews. And Red Pen Reviews are by a PhD, Stefan Guyanet, G-U-Y-A-N-E-T, PhD, a very, very bright young uh, neurobiologist. But anyways, he has taken some of these books. I think he's studied 10 of the books so far. And he has judged how accurate they are. So the plant paradox you know, a huge seller arguing don't eat legumes or go to extreme caution if you're eating legumes, peas, beans, and lentils, and don't eat grains like we were talking. He judged the book based on the actual references to be 26% accurate, which means it's a novel, 74%. It's a novel. It's not a science book. But you won't find that knowledge in the public. The public says this is a prominent MD. He wrote a book. I'll follow his guidelines, I'll buy his vitamins, and it just disrupts the real science conversation. Mm-mm. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I'm going to check that out. Red Pen Reviews. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's a relatively new website, and uh, there's a lot of interest all of a sudden to have more and more uh, reviews. Uh, not always the controversial book. They actually reviewed Dr. Walter Longo, I mentioned his name, a book called The Longevity Diet. And, you know, I don't remember the number. Was it 86% accurate? I, I question that. I, Dr. Longo, I think, probably knows his references as well as anybody. But at least, you know, 86% accurate is science. 26% accurate is fiction. I think we can all agree on that. Absolutely. And I was going to, because I know I've been talking to you for a little while now, and I don't want to take up too much of more of your time, but you're the... Your book, Vegan Sex, and I've heard Dean Ornish and his wife talk about their how their r- romantic life has been benefited by a plant-based diet on the Rich Roll podcast. I have, to, I have to confess that I haven't actually read your book, Vegan Sex, but I 
I was glad to see this topic raised because I think that it makes sense that there would be benefits to this this to people's sex life and romantic lives from a plant based diet. But I'd like to just you to just give us a little tiny snapshot of of what you mean by why vegan vegan sex would be better or improved other on from an omnivore diet. Right. And you know, it was if anybody finds the book on Amazon and sees the cover, I mean, it was a combination of I love some the cover ser- by the way. Yeah, <laughs> some serious material and some sense of humor on a topic that sometimes it's just fun to chuckle a bit about because it still makes us awkward in 2019 uh, to some degree. So there was a combination of that. But I wrote the chapters on the medical aspects of sexuality and plant-based diets. And then there's amazing recipes. And then there's the personal story of Ellen Jaffe Jones, a very famous plant-based athlete, and her dating scene uh, amongst plant-based and non-plant-based men. But at any rate, from a medical standpoint, you know, you need a good, healthy mind and good, healthy body and arteries for successful and enjoyable sex. Uh, erectile dysfunction in men is studied much more than sexual difficulties in women. And, you know, by age 40 to 50, the frequency of erectile dysfunction, and there have been reports lately out of Australia specifically, is very high. It's the environment, it's the food, but it's your arteries getting clogged is a big factor. And a man with erectile dysfunction needs a serious heart workup to make sure that that isn't the clue that leads to identifying serious heart disease before it strikes and possibly kills. So at any rate, uh, if you can keep your arteries clean, that's uh, part of it. And of course, the data from all the great experts we talked about eating long-term, it's not going to happen in a week, but a long-term whole food, plant-based, healthy version of a vegan diet is going to favor good endothelium, good nitric oxide. There are studies that specifically look at the diet of men and erectile dysfunction and low fruit intake uh, more than any other actually has come out as one of the findings. Uh, And if you want to be a healthy man and a healthy sexual uh, performer, uh, upping your whole food, plant-based foods and fruits specifically may be very helpful. Um, they're rich like grapes and such are really rich in polyphenols. Um, and that aspect is there. Um, and, you know, some people go on to talk about healthy smelling bodies. I think those of us that have eaten plant-based a long time are surprised that even on sweaty, dirty, hardworking days, we don't have a particularly offensive body odor. It's the bacteria on our skin are probably loving our diet and are more favorable and just the whole energy and the whole health you might gain. If your body weight is more favorable, it might just be easier to move around and be acrobatic a little bit and all those factors. So uh, it's an understudied area, but those research studies that are out there, certainly uh, it goes back again. I mentioned Robert Vogel and the Mediterranean diet, but he did studies that if you take a group of healthy volunteers and feed them a McDonald's sausage egg McMuffin and check their arteries, their arteries work very poorly for about seven hours and then try and return back to normal. But if the next meal is Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, you can spend the whole day kind of in this arterial food coma, and it's going to impact your sexual performance. So we know that kind of uh, diet is adverse. And we know the plant-based diet favors healthy arteries. So it's pretty clear 
the sexiest diet is a plant, brightly colored whole food diet. Absolutely, it is the sexiest diet. And I'll, it, even now, my husband has recently become well, become vegan and whole food, completely whole food, plant based from being like eighty percent to now a hundred percent. Just even because kissing people when they've had had cheese or meat for me, because I was plant based for longer, kissing him after he would eat cheese, I was just so revolted by the smell and the fatty, fatty oil on his lips and even that small, it's just a small little thing, but it's such a big difference how, now that he's not eating those foods because you want to kiss him more. You know, you want to kiss someone more when their mouth doesn't taste like breast milk of a cow. <laughs> funny, funny. Before you hang up, I need to ask you two last, last two questions. And one is where can people follow you and find you and, you know, work with you or whatever in the world? Right. And so the easiest site, I have a website, Dr joelkahn.com, but that's D-R-J-O-E-L-K-A-H-N.com. And you can click there to see the restaurants I have. If you're ever in Michigan or Texas, you can click there and see my clinic, the Kahn Center. And I do work with people outside the United States quite frequently. You can click there and find my links because that's where I'm really living is on Twitter, uh, D-R-J-K-A-H-N, Instagram, D-R-J-K-A-H-N, and Facebook, Dr. Joel Khan, America's Healthy Heart Doc. Um, and I'm quite easy to find on the social platforms. Awesome. Thank you so much. Now, last but not least would be what would be your three biggest tips for anyone who's listening who is considering taking on this lifestyle? Go slow uh, and start with breakfast. Uh, and I would start with oatmeal and gigantic green smoothies. That'd be number one. Number two would be ditch dairy. Um, so easy nowadays to find everything you love and enjoy in a dairy-free version that, you know, if you shop around and try different versions, you're going to find one that pleases you. And you might see very quick health improvement by ditching dairy. And that would be number two. And number three is eat whole food. And we've talked about that. I've been very careful in my words. I like the term vegan. It has certain ethical and uh, perhaps environmental aspect to it. But real health has to emphasize whole foods. We're talking very simply whole fruits, whole vegetables, uh, beans, peas, lentils, and whole grains, um, as opposed to the explosion of junk plant substitutes, which are nice and make some meals joyful. But Keep them to a minimum because they are still junky and they have not been shown to really add to our health. They just make eating out easier or preparing meals easier. But do the hard work. Chop the fruits and vegetables. Thank you so much, Dr. Khan. They are great tips. Go slow. Oatmeal and gre- I had an oatmeal and a green smoothie just this morning and ditch dairy, eat whole foods. And ditching dairy seems so hard until you do it and then you can't believe how good you feel. Agree completely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so lovely speaking to you. Have a joyful day and look forward to meeting you in beautiful Australia. Yes, and look forward to coming to one of your restaurants one day. Thank you very much.